Thank you for listening to the weekly messages of New Providence Primitive Baptist Church. To subscribe to our podcast, hear other messages, or learn more about us, please visit nppbc.com. Well, the last time I was here, we were concerned about Africa, and a lot of folks were praying for me, even the Africans. They said the voodoo was going to be a problem, and it wasn't. had one witch doctor, and uh, came, and but uh, it was a bizarre thing in mixed company. I won't tell you what he did, but uh, he didn't bother us. Um, so just let me just give you the high spots. Of course, when I got there, uh, I've never been to Africa, right? And so um, we had Pentecostal and and apostolic. You know what the apostolics are? Preachers came, and so I held this conference. Um, we had seventeen pastors come. To this conference, and what I was concerned about is the food. I had to, I had to pay for all this food, and uh, but we could have had. Now I'm, I even got a text this morning or last night, I think it was, where we could have had a hundred preachers, but I couldn't. I, I just didn't have the money to feed them, and so the Lord blessed with the finances. I hired three cooks and paid them. I forget how much I paid them, and they liked it so much they went out without my knowledge and hired two more. <laughs> and so I, I thought, well, you know, I'm not going to uh, split hairs on this. So we ended, I forget how many people we had saved. I know I counted 14. Uh, there may have been more, but I baptized 41. And a baptized, I got, of course, I had authority from Baptist churches. I'm ordained Baptist preacher, but um, baptized, and I think four of them were pastors. And they just, they... They now want to be Baptist. And then this book that I wrote, um, I think I've got one, yeah, Baptist, A Good and Chosen Name. It's a very short book, but it just, it goes into why be a Baptist? Does it matter? Uh, Because today we're seeing people, and you know, the name is good. I like the name because God gave the name. I mean, it wasn't John the Methodist. It was John the Baptist. Right. And he and J. Vernon McGee said it should be baptizer, but he was called the Baptist before he baptized. Yeah. And it's capital B. It's not, if it was an adjective, it'd be a little B. And uh, so, but to me, it's not about the name so much as about the Baptist DNA, the doctrinal DNA that we hold to. Um, and so I gave these books out. They took them, ran out. I took the Bibles, took, I think it was 56 Bibles. I should have taken 100 or so. It's the shipping. The shipping is so expensive. Um, and But uh, Delta worked with me, and I was able to take all those Bibles and all these books. I took very little clothes, so I had to do laundry like every two or three days because I just couldn't take many clothes. Well, we baptize in the ocean. I've been baptizing now for 42 years. That's the wildest baptism I've ever done. And I'll tell you why. I didn't know, but Africans are afraid of the water, a lot of them. So we're out in this water. I'm up to here, and they're afraid. Well, if we're a Baptist, we believe in immersion. It's a burial. I got to bury them, right? But sometimes there wasn't enough because the tide's going out, and the tide's coming in. And these waves are like up to here. And so I thought, well, how do I do this, Lord? So I turned my back so that the water wouldn't hit him in the face, and I'd wait for that tide to come. And when that tide came in, I would hurry and get him out of the water. Well, 
this one lady was just having a fit. And so I had to hold on to her because it's, I got knocked, I was eating sand four times. I mean, that, those waves were knocking me flat. And finally, this one lady, she was scared, and I held on to her because this wave hit me, and it twisted my leg. And I'm telling you, I haven't, heard, I haven't had that pain since I played football. I mean, it <laughs> tore that ligament, and I could barely walk. <laughs> I've got pictures of it. I'll show it to you. Uh, but these Africans are helping me up, and I'm thinking... I know heaven's laughing at me right now. I know it. The angels are saying, man, I love this guy. He's always good for a laugh. Um, but we baptized 41. And now, of course, they're, they're begging me to come back. And, and um, i got a, a fellow from Australia that's helping me, Mark Bartleman. He's also a Navy SEAL. For those of you who don't know, I'm in charge of the Navy SEALs for Christ. And so these we're training these preachers, training these missionaries, on how to do mission work, how to start churches, and so on. Uh, now it looks like in about four weeks I'm going to the Philippines, <coughs> and we're going to recruit 100 new Navy SEALs out of the Philippines, and we're going to have Heaven's Week where we teach them how to fast, how to pray, uh, do to exercise, because sometimes um, they don't get to eat. You know, I found that out when I was in the jungle. Sometimes the food, you better learn how to survive. Other times... And some of these uh, islands, like in Vietnam and, of course, uh, Philippines, there's what they call, they call them communists. They're just basically terrorists. And so they've got to learn how to protect themselves, how to think smart. So pray for that. I'm leaving, I think, um, I'm buying the ticket this week, um, October 26th. I'll be leaving to go to the Philippines. And then, uh, Lord willing, I'll be going to India uh, because I've never been there either. Um, you say, well, Brother Dan, you're really, you're hitting it hard. I'm going to give you my conviction. I, I, I don't hide anything. I believe our, con- our world and our country's in trouble. And this traveling is going to come to a screeching halt where I can't go, which really makes my work important because I'm training indigenous preachers. You understand? They already know the language. They already got the culture. They're already there, and they're already used to the poverty. If I was to take some of you, you guys, you wouldn't like it. Have to, have to take a bath out of a bucket and sleep with lizards and wake up with bird poop all over you. You know, you wouldn't like some of the things that, but these guys are used to it, see? So I appreciate American missionaries, but I'm, I'm telling you, training these guys is really a blessing. So pray with me about that and... Um, your money that you gave me, which was generous, um, went towards food. I spent like $4,500 just on food and lodging. And so I told them this time, they want me to come back. I said, this time, you're paying for the food. And the, you know why I say that? Because if they get the trust in the white man, and I'm just going to pay. No, no, no. It ought to cost you something. You know? And, and, and that was my challenge. They're always asking me for money, always wanting money. And so every veteran missionary I've talked to said, do not give out money. Because if you do, there's no end to it. I mean, if I give this guy 100 bucks, well, this guy wants $100. And if I give him or this guy, I mean, where do you stop with that? So I'd rather teach a man how to fish than give him a fish. Um, so I just, uh, I really love you all for supporting me, praying for me. Of course, your pastor. Then also, too, um, Macedonia Baptist Church in Townsend is hosting a Preachers Conference, Bible Conference, it's not just for preachers. And pastors, the, 
He's the keynote speaker. He's the last speaker, and that's October 7th, so it's the 6th and the 7th. And there'll be books there. There'll be, it'll be a pretty cool Bible conference. And then that subsequent week, starting on Sunday, I'll be preaching a revival there. And so just pray for that. You may not be able to come, but pray for that. All right, Galatians 6. I don't want to abuse your time. Um, Galatians chapter 6. I prayed earnestly, not long, because God gave me an answer on what to preach. And so I'm out of Galatians 6. If your knees don't hurt, stand with me. Chapter 6, verse 14. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. In other words, the feeling is mutual. The world looks at me and they think I'm a grotesque spectacle. But I look at the world system, not worldly sinners, but I look at the world and they're grotesque to me. They, the world, This world does not appeal to me. I have no taste Amen. for this world. But I get it. The world doesn't like me either. So I'm not ashamed to go ahead and tell you I glory in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The title of the message Glory, the glory of the cross. Let's pray. Father, please use me. Lord, I pray for just a few brief moments. And as Pastor Tommy knows, we preachers, we show up, we preach, and then we leave. And it's amazing, Lord, and I'm I'm finally learning it's not about me. It's not even really about my ministry, though it's I, I find that important. But Lord, what's most important? is the Lord Jesus Christ and what you do at this moment. And Lord, this moment is a, uh, is a piece of time in eternity. Decisions here could be made that will affect eternity. And so we never know what turning point is going to happen for some dear saint or some precious sinner. And so I pray, O oh Lord, that you use this message for glory and honor, that the folks will just forget about me, as I move on and preach that Christ will be held in high esteem and people will walk away not saying what a great message, but what a great Savior. Lord, we love you. Thank you for saving us. Now please reveal yourself now. Visit us. Make us feel your presence. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Seated. You know, there was this tall preacher like me and uh, he passed through this church and... Um, he was so tall that behind him was a stained glass window, and and on and on the window was the was the cross. But the man was so tall, you know, if you were looking straight at you couldn't see it. Well, one Sunday he was gone, and there was a short preacher preaching. And a little boy said to his mom, said, Look, mom, the pastor's gone. Now we can see the cross. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, you never want to you never want to get so big or so important that people That's don't right. see Christ Amen. and the cross. So, and now I understand God uses preachers. I understand that. And some of the problem is sometimes we say things that maybe we didn't say it right. And you can get so hung up on my personality that you forget about the substance of what we're really talking about. So I want to preach on the glory of the cross. Now, there's a lot of things that. 
you know, when we think of glory, what would you think of? The glory of Christ. You probably think of his resurrection, his ascension, the second coming of Christ. But will you please notice in verse 14, he said, I glory in the cross. Now, the Roman crucifixion, if you know anything about a Roman crucifixion, there's nothing glorious in it, man. I mean, it's horrible. I dare say, like that movie that came out a few years ago, The Passion of Christ, I had a hard time watching it. Me too. I really did. I just, I didn't enjoy it. There is no apparent glory in someone dying or the death of Christ. And so, when you look at the, at the historical event, the four Marys, when they came to the, they wept uncontrollably. The apostles were in such shock, they were in despair. The Pharisees were elated and relieved that their enemy, their archenemy, was finally dead. The Roman soldiers were amused with human indifference. And the angelic hosts, well, they were strangely quiet. And the jackals of hell, well, they were cautiously rejoicing. And so God looked down at God that day, and God looked up and tried to pray. He prayed to nothing he could see. Father, he said, look down on me. Now, what is this glory? Again, I want, just like Pastor Tommy, I've made it one of my studies to really study the crucifixion. What is it about? And I'm telling you, just to look at it superficially, there's nothing glorious about it. I'm telling you. So number one, here's my outline. If you take notes, glory in the shame, glory in the suffering, glory in the sacrifice. And there's my outline. Now let's start in John chapter one. All right. And, and I won't wear you out with too many proof texts, but let's start in John chapter one. Because I want to see if I can make and prove a point. Verse 14, chapter one. And the word was made flesh. This is the Logos, Jesus Christ. And dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Look at chapter two, verse 11. The beginning of miracles did Jesus in Canaan of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed on him. Look at chapter 11, verse four. Chapter 11, verse four. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness, in reference to Lazarus, is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. So then what is this? The shame of Calvary. What does that mean? Well, didn't the Bible say in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, but for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He despised the shame. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. So where's the glory in that? Think about it. Publicly condemned and rejected by his own people. I mean, that's why Pilate's, he stood there, he goes, well, why would your people want to crucify you? What have you done? They stripped him. They were not thankful for all the healings. You realize that some of the people that their relatives were healed, they were fed, they were helped, they were loved. 
some of those very people cried out, crucify him. How does that feel? You've been rejected. Haven't you had someone that you cared about reject you? Oh, you got angry. Oh, how defrauded you were. But no one has ever been publicly shamed like the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of it. Caring. I mean, imagine if you're going to be, um, if they're going to execute you on an electric chair and on the way to your execution, they make you carry your chair. They make you tie the knot on your, the noose that's going to go around your neck. They made him carry his own cross. He was crucified between two thieves, publicly humiliated. They stripped him naked. As I'll just tell you, that I saw a witch doctor a few weeks ago walking around naked. Just naked. No, I said, no one, I left him alone, he left me alone. They hung Jesus Christ on the cross naked. How'd that make Mary feel? To see her son hang there and his only clothing was dried blood and running blood and flies and spittle. He was paraded through the streets where all could see his shame and apparent weakness. They played games at the foot of the cross. The, the, the Roman soldiers throwing the dice, gambling for who would get his cloak. Public scorn and jeering. Turn to Matthew 27. <clears throat> I can go there and probably point out about six points in Matthew 27. Let's start with verse 39. Matthew 27, 39. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, kind of like shame on you, shame, saying, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. Come on, if thou be the son of God, come down from the cross. See how they belittle him? They shot out the lip. That's what the Jews would do. In fact, they, they do that in some other countries. Instead of, like we Americans, we point with the finger, they point with their lip. They do like that. Which is like, like in your face. You imposter. You hypocrite. You false prophet. Look at verse 36. And sitting down, they washed him there. Kind of like a picnic. They passed the popcorn. Sitting there watching him die with gross indifference. The jeers and the taunts. Look at verse 41. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and the elders said, He saved others. Himself he cannot say. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Ha, ha, ha. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Look at that. Verse 44 Notice both thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. They threw it in your face, so to speak. Both thieves. Of course, we know the Holy Spirit worked on one of them. Look at verse 46. They mock his prayers. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama shabbatani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood there when they heard that said, this man calleth for Elias. Now, wait a minute. They knew Hebrew. They knew Aramaic. They knew he wasn't calling for Elias. That was their way of mocking him and jeering him. 
And then, of course, we know in Matthew 27, verse 48, and straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar, which is like it's, it's the, uh, the rotten, sour wine that turned to vinegar, and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Now, according to John 19, this is the spot where Christ cried out, I thirst! Yeah. And they gave him vinegar. Now, you see any glory in this? No. Number two, glory and suffering. Now, when Rome, when Rome authored and created this idea of crucifixion, here was the idea. Their idea was that death is too good for you. So what we want to do is, is belabor it and drag out the suffering, draw it out, to where you're just on the brink of death, but you're not dying. The idea of crucifixion was to make a man suffer as long as they could, and then he died. So it wasn't like a noose around the neck. It wasn't electrical shock. It wasn't a lethal injection. The scourging, for instance. Now, when you hear about somebody being scourged, you may think of a leather belt. No, it was called the cat of nine tails. It was the various strands of leather with pieces of metal or glass or sheep bones. I think that's interesting. Bones of a sheep. And they would be tied, and you would have one soldier, they would stretch you out like this so that your skin is taut, and one soldier would wrap those things around your, your ribcage and your back and then pull like this. The other soldier's over here, and he may be left-handed. He does the same thing, hits you, and then pulls. And each time they would pull, and pull out flesh and tissue. And that's why the Bible says in Psalm 22, he looked upon his bones. He could look down, he could see his collarbone, his shoulder bone. He could see his ribs. It was a gruesome sight. You've never seen an artist depiction of the crucifixion. It'd be too gruesome. Not even Mel Gibson could do it on the passion. In fact, the Bible says that he was so marred that he didn't even look human. The Bible says it looked like on his back that a farmer had taken a plow and plowed deep furrows on his back where the meat and the flesh and the muscle and arteries squirting blood. This was before they put him on the cross. And then they hung him on the cross. I don't know how he made it to the top of the hill carrying that cross, probably 180 pounds, and he carried it with no sleep, no water, loss of blood. And then they took the Roman spikes, put them through the carpal tunnel of the, the bones and the, the ligaments here. That's where most of the pain is. I don't know if you know that. And then same thing with the ankles. And there he is. The only way to breathe is to pull up. But when he pulls up, it puts pressure on the feet. So he goes down, that puts pressure on the hands. And meanwhile, that lumber, splintered and rough hewn, digging into his back. Let me tell you something. The Lord Jesus Christ suffered more than anybody has ever seen suffer. And some of you, you've seen people die of cancer. You've seen people suffer. Not like Jesus. Not like Jesus. And here he is dehydrating, loss of blood, loss of water, loss of food, and they gave him vinegar on his parched lips. They didn't break any bones, but boy, they broke his body. Yeah. Yeah. They broke his body. Suffering, suffering, this torment of the Roman crucifixion. Why? 
Do you see any glory in this? The loss of blood that put pressure on his heart, the exhaustion, the asphyxiation, and it must dawn on you, this is God's son. He was sinless. This is what Rome and the Jews did to an innocent man. But what really, the real murderers, is you and I. It was because of your sin that he did this. It wasn't the Roman nails. It was you, me. I, I used to do some debates in colleges, at Wilmington College, and I'd be surrounded by Buddhists and Hindus and atheists. One time they said, well, who, according to you, who, who really crucified Jesus? And I looked at them and I said, it was me. <laughs> yeah. the, you know, a worldly crowd, they don't know what to do with that. Right. The next person was God the Father. Yeah. I like what Pastor said. He said, God was so angry at us that we had to be saved from him, yeah. his wrath. And the only way he could save us from his wrath was to offer himself on the cross. Amen. That's right. Think Thank about you, that. God. Think about that. Thank you. When Jesus died, the payment was made to who? God. God. Yeah. Why? Because he loved you. Yeah. <laughs> and yet you can't go to church on Wednesday night? Right. <laughs> Help me. Really? Yeah. You know, you got to really wonder if some people are saved. Yeah. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm not. Right. Sometimes I wonder if I'm truly saved. He said, well, you shouldn't do that. Well, the Bible says you should. Examine yourselves, whether you be the faith. Make your call on the light. Doesn't the Bible say that? Is that just for you or is that for preachers? It's for everybody. I'm telling you, when you you get to, this is why, see, this is why Brother Tommy said, the more you concentrate on Christ, that's going to sanctify you, man. Boy, I'm telling you, you're going to lose your taste for the things of this world. You're going to lose your taste and stop feeling sorry for yourself when you think about what Christ went through for you. And if you're saved, really truly saved, my goodness, man, we ought to be more happy than we are. Amen. Oh, the sharp pangs of smarting pain my dear Redeemer bore when naughty whips and rugged thorns his sacred body tore. But naughty whips and rugged thorns, in vain do I accuse. In vain I blame the Roman bands and the more spiteful Jews. T'was you, my sins, my cruel sins, his chief tormentors were. Each of my crimes became a nail and unbelief the spear. It's me. But you see any glory in that suffering? Number two, number three, the glory in the sacrifice. Now, the value of the Son of God is incalculable. That's right. If God would have gave 10,000 angels to keep you out of hell, you would have said, thank you. Yeah. yeah. You're not worth 10,000 angels. But he gave his only son. You know, like when you go to a flea market, you go, what do you try to do? You, you, you want to buy something, you try to get a bargain, don't you? God didn't get a bargain. That's right. He gave That's himself. Right. Gave himself. Mm-hmm. Would you do that? Oh. Somebody said, hey, I want to sell you this car. How much you want for $10,000? i will give you $20,000. Would you do that? Would you get $20,000 for a car that's worth $10,000? And what are you worth? 
I hate these songwriters that say, I must be worth something. He must see something in me because he died for me. No, no, he didn't see anything good in you. And you're, you're not worth anything. Now you're worth something now because Christ died for you. But you, you say, well, then why did he die for me? Because he loved you. Why did he love you? You're going to have to ask him. Yeah, amen. I don't know. I've been asked that question for 60 years. Yeah. I don't know why he loved me. I, don't, I look in the mirror, I don't see it. Yeah, right. And when you think about what I've done for him, he got a bad business deal. Yeah, exactly right. So it's really, here's the thing, this, this, is what, this is what, to me, glorifies the love, the grace of God. Yeah, to, like, would you, would you spend $100 for a broken down washing machine? Would you buy a fan that didn't work? And look what he did. He died for a bunch of dirty sinners. Yeah, yeah. That's why, listen, none of us should be a bunch of pious gas bags looking at some girl that got pregnant out of wedlock as though she's worse than you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who's the biggest sinner in here? Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, your hands should go up. Yeah. I often said, Paul said he was the chief of sinners because he never met me. <laughs> the glory and the sacrifice. God is the Lord, which has showed us his light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even into the horns of the altar. Psalm 118, 27. God fastened his son to a cross. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. And think about it. The separate, the schism in the Godhead. Do you realize, do you understand doctrine, right? The Trinity. We are Trinitarians. We believe in one God. Yeah. One guy, these stinking Muslims, you know, they think they're so smart. I got in a big uh, argument with a Muslim on the plane, you know. This guy was from France. He spoke French, but he was a Muslim. And, man, he attacked me, man. He got on me. Well, he, he forgot. I'm a Baptist. <laughs> man, we got into it. And I nailed his hide to the wall on the Trinity. I said, he goes, well, you Christians believe in three gods. I said, no, you're crazy, man. We don't believe in three gods. We believe in one God. Three persons. He goes, do you understand that? I said, no. I don't. I believe things I don't understand. Exactly. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, I'm not going to call God a liar. Yeah. The Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, but one God. Now, okay, you understand that, right? We're Trinitarian. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Then how did God the Father turn his back on his own son? Jesus always called his Father, Father. He told us how to pray. Our Father, which are in heaven. But on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God. It's the only time he ever referred to the Father as my God. Why? He became sin for us. Now, I don't know if the Father turned his back on him, but I know this. The Father treated him as though he was the one guilty. He poured his wrath. And yeah, let me me share something. I'm just like, would you punish an innocent man? One time I gave my son a spanking one time because I thought he was guilty. He said, Dad, I didn't do it. I said, Yeah, you're lying. He goes, Dad, I didn't do it. I said, Well, you can't stop. Well, the guy was funny. I found out hours later, he told the truth. I started crying. Mm-hmm. I came to him and I got on my knees. I said, Josh, I'm sorry. You told the truth, didn't you? He said, Daddy, I said, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. Mm-hmm. I said, Forgive me. He goes, It's okay, Daddy. And I gave him the belt. I said, Now, do it with me. And he goes, no, Daddy, I don't want to. I said, no. And he goes, no, Daddy, I don't want to. I said, son, please, let me feel better. And, you know, he wouldn't do it. So I thought at that moment, 
Yes, he did. He started building that tower and he finished it. The Bible says in Luke 14, don't go to war unwisely. But he went to war and he met the enemy. But do you see glory in this sacrifice? My answer is yes, I do. Now let's start. We'll close with these four scriptures. Look at, or five scriptures. Look at John 7 quickly. I don't want you quitting before I do. John chapter 7, verse 39. Here is the glory. John 7, 39. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. Now watch. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not glorified. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah. What? What is that talking about? Look at chapter 12 and verse 21. Share your Bible. Somebody don't have their Bible. 12 and verse 21. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. These are Gentiles, Greeks. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip together tell Jesus. Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come, that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say to you, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground, it die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit, in reference to himself. Look at chapter 13, 31. 13, 31. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified. Look at that. And God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. The last one, chapter 17, verse 4 and 5. This is the Lord's Prayer. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. In just a few hours now, he's going to go to the cross. And then he says, verse 5, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Now, what we have here then, you're seeing that there was glory in the shame, glory in the suffering, glory in the sacrifice. But you've got to be a believer. See, if there's someone here, like if there's someone here that you're lost, 
you know, you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, right? You don't. Well, then you don't see any glory. To you, it's just a man that's hanging on the cross. It's a tragic story. In other words, he's, he was a martyr that got caught up in a religious prejudice and so on. But no, that's not the case. What we see is a foreordained, predestinated romance where the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth for one thing, and this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners and whom I am chief. I want to read you a song. Is my cell phone back there? If it is, I'm going to see it. And so when Christ came to die on the cross, what you see on the outward is just the, the, the spill, the shedding, the blood, the shame, the suffering. But beneath that, what I see is the power of God. I see the love of God. I see the wrath of God on sin. I see the wisdom, the manifold wisdom of God. See, because how did Christ defeat the devil? How did he defeat death? By dying on the cross and by just saying the death blow to his head, yeah, man. Yeah. How did he conquer our sins? By paying for them. Yep, man. yep. And then the explanation point is the resurrection. Yeah. When he resurrected, yeah. man, I mean, that has changed everything. Yeah. Look at Isaiah 63. <laughs> In Isaiah 63, I think it's verse 1 and 2, and then we'll make a conclusion. Isaiah 63. In verse 1, who is this that cometh from Edom? And that's, there's some prophecy here, but I won't get into that. And dyed garments from Baswa. This that is glorious in his apparel. Traveling in the greatness of his strength. Can you see Calvary here, Brother Tommy? I that speak in righteousness mighty to save. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel? And thy garments like him that treadeth the wine fat. And this, uh, this song, my daughter sang this song. And uh, so I wanted to, to capture the lyrics. Listen to this, if you don't mind, okay? The crown that my king wore was made of thorns. His jewels were bright rubies of blood. His royal apparel designed with a scourge making bright crimson stripes on his holy train. And oh, he wore it so well. My king's apparel, he wore it so well. And oh, he wore it so well. My king's apparel, he wore it so well. His jewelry was nails in his hands and his feet. No throne, he hung on a sinful tree. His royal carpet was blood in the sand. Crucified Jesus, we sinners demand. His life for the sinner, he willingly gave. They lay my Savior in a cold, dark cave. But Jesus was righteous, was never death's slave. My almighty king conquered death and the grave. And oh, he wore it so well. My king's apparel. He wore it so well, and oh, he wore it so well. My king's apparel, the blood, the sweat, he wore it so well. See, I don't know what you see. What I see is majesty. 
What I see is glory. This is why Paul said, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I glory in that. Amen. See, and now if you go through shame, Jesus understands. If you suffer, he understands. And now if you have to sacrifice something that you didn't want to sacrifice, he understands. When I went to Jerusalem years ago, (coughs) took some college students with me, and before uh, we were scheduled to go to Calvary the next day, because we just got down, we just got to King George Motel, it was tired, it was late at night, and so um, we got checked into the King George Motel, and I, I told two of the, the, the guys that were with me, Reed and Al, I said, I said, I'm not waiting. They go, what? I said, I'm not waiting, I'm going. And they said, well, where is Calvary? I said, I'll find it. I mean, I found it years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we did, we started walking through the narrow streets of Jerusalem. And we asked a few questions, and I said, where's Cal? And he said, it's in front of the bus station. It's right behind the bus station. So we found a bus station. And we said, well, how are we going to recognize Cal? And I said, it'll look like a skull. And we got there, and it looked like a skull. And there's the Muslim buses. The Muslims hate Christianity so much, they put a bus station right in front of Cal. And the bus is going in and out. But right behind it, you can see Cal. And we stood there, man, looking at Cal. And I started crying. I said, I've been here before. But now I'm here physically. And it's, it's a moving thing. I don't think you have to go there physically. But I'll tell you, it's moving when you see the spot where Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left the crimson stain. He washed it. Amen. Let me ask you, what are you glorying this morning? Crazy thing. If I offered you a million dollars for Christ, what do you want? Right. And yet you can say here, you can say a lot for Christ because you don't see a million dollars. If I offered you a million dollars and fame and fortune and a great marriage, what do you want? What do you glory in? I'm begging you this morning. God doesn't beg, but I do. I'm begging you. You need to reconsider your madness Amen. and put it in Christ. Amen. Ask God. You say, well, I, don't, I, I just don't feel it. Well, then ask God to give you. Ask God to give you repentance and faith. Yeah. I think that'd be a good prayer request. Yeah. God, give me repentance and faith. Amen. Give me godly sorrow. For a godly sorrow work with repentance. Yep. Ask God to give that to you. Ask God to save your soul. Amen. What, what do you say? Yeah. Glory in the cross. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And I would like to ask you to, some, I think this is such a wonderful church. I love this church. But I think most of you are saved. I do. But I think that there could be, if Pastor Tommy was this, he never did tell me this. But I, I think he grieves over the fact that some of you don't serve the Lord. And he's never told me that. Okay, He never has. I've never heard him say a negative thing about this church. But I bet you no one how I know Baptist churches, I bet you it grieves his heart that some of you are not serving God. And I think maybe Brother Tommy, maybe he thinks that he needs to be a better pastor. Maybe he needs to preach better sermons or whatever. But I'll tell you, I've learned this, that if you're, if you're not going to be excited about Jesus Christ, it will show up in your church life, in your marriage. It's going to show up. It just does. And we pastors, sometimes we, we browbeat ourselves but look, I, 
If, if, if the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't motivate you, I don't know what else to do. Amen. I, I'm serious. I mean, what, do we have to bribe you to serve God? Uh, some of you are not reading your Bibles. You're not praying like you should. You're, you're looking at things on the Internet that no, no godly man should be looking at. And so I, if, if this doesn't motivate you, then I don't have anything else. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. But I am trying to get you to see the dire situation here. So the way to do business with God this morning is between you and God. Dear Lord, I'm not loving you like I should. I'm not serving you like I should. I don't even fear you like I should. That's why I'm not reading my Bible. Let's just go to the heart of the matter, okay? You're not reading your Bible. Why? Because you're not in love with the author. If you're excited about the author of the book, the book will become more interesting to you. And what about your prayer life? Is prayer, oh, I have to, I forgot to pray, I got it. No, you don't have to pray. If you don't want to, here's the issue, why don't we want to? Yep. Right. Where's the want to? Right. I mean, praying and talking right. to the most important person in the universe ought to be a vacation for you. <laughs> it ought to be your banana split, man. Amen. You get to talk to God. Amen. Amen. And then coming to church. Listen, man, every time I come here, Brother Tommy, is he's bragging on God. Why wouldn't you want to come and see this? Man, we need to get our hearts right. Amen. We need the glory in the cross. Amen. I'll tell you something else. When you glory in the cross, you're not going to have to be biting your lip when you get ready to witness somebody. You can't wait to witness to them. I got an eye exam yesterday, and the doctor was a Muslim. I was talking to her about the Lord Jesus Christ. I did. It just came out. So it won't be so legalistic. You don't have to make yourself witness when you're excited. You like talking about your grandkids. You got a problem with that? Do you, do you love your grandkids? You don't have any problem talking about your grandkids. Then why do we have a problem talking about the one who loved you and gave us life Amen. to save your soul? Amen. Come on, folks. We need to fall in love with him again. Amen. We do. Amen. So I'm going to pray and uh, turn it over to the, to the Lord, of course, and to the pastor. But if you, you need to do business with God this morning, then let's get serious. That's right. And let's let's see if God will revive your heart and this church. Father, I pray right now that you'll take this message. And, you know, sometimes we preachers, we, we feel like we're going to talk people into a decision. But the bottom line is this. If, if I don't want anybody walking the aisle. I don't want people going through the motions if their heart's not right. But I will say this. Lord, if our heart's not right and we don't care, that's a bad commentary. Yeah. That's a bad thing. And so, Lord, we need a move of the Holy Spirit. I know I do. And I just ask you now, bless, Pastor, bless these dear people. And I pray that they'll think hard now about this. Why does the Lord Jesus Christ not move me more than what he does? Lord, it can't be your fault. It has to be ours. You've done, you've sacrificed everything. Oh, Lord. Do you not deserve a hot love? Do you not deserve a wholehearted dedication? Forgive us for our whining, our complaining, our murmuring, feeling sorry for ourselves. Forgive us for this, O oh Lord, and help us to be excited about you. Bless now the invitation, this time of the service. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.